It is uh, Monday, the 27th day of February, 2027. One more day to go in uh, February. Or to, does February have 37 days? I was confused. 37, yeah. 37. Or was uh, it 34 states? What was it? Uh, 57 states or 50? Yeah. Well, it would be 57, yeah. Yeah, that was a prior administration that had something like that. Yeah, but I think the I think that was one of those things that was overblown significantly because the um, don't we have fifty seven states and territories? Yes, we do. But so, I just kind of wanted to bring that up because no, 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 uh, it's uh, fifty seven states of Islam or or some crazy conspiracy. Yeah, <laughs> we are going to dig deep today in a couple of topics, and so I would suggest uh, for the average person, you might want to get a whiskey, get a wine, get a beer, uh, get a keg. I think a keg might work, or a lot of vodka. Something. Yeah, Putin needs a lot of vodka. So let's uh, start off with our discussion with uh, and hold on the um, the other one that we're going to just kind of scratch a little bit on. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on in Russia. And uh, there is a lot of talk about a civil war, disintegration of the state. There are opposition leaders in Russia saying things like the criminal regime is going to fall and the only way it's going to fall is by by force. So a couple of quick opinions on that to start off with. Yeah, it's a it's a volatile situation. It's kind of a in my mind it's it's we're you talk about things before things are done. Obviously, you know, it is what it is. Uh this is a situation where I don't know. It's kind of been expected on my part that something this large scale and filled with so many personalities that have everything to lose. Uh, this is this is one of the only real logical conclusions. If this was a more sane state, then the obvious conclusion is total capitulation and obviously regime change, but on your own terms. And that doesn't seem to be happening, at least not yet. Maybe maybe that option will will be given to people. Um, and, and it will not be an organic citizen uprising because that's not going to happen. I don't think so. I, I wouldn't bet on it. It'll be a couple of different players who have their own private armies and a lot of vested interests in uh, preserving their um, stronghold on various components of what is now disintegrating uh, the former USSR, Russia state, and et cetera. Yeah, it's just it's further disintegration of the remaining components of the USSR. I mean, that, that's the reality of it. And, you know, the, I think it's funny, to you got to address this. That seems a little far-fetched. It seems a little crazy, blah, blah, blah. But the problem is that it's not. It's, it's not because they faked their transition out of the Soviet times. They've, they've made some strides. They've made, you know, I guess, you know, it is kind of like a quasi, you know, uh, communist capitalist hybrid that they have going on there, except they kind of got rid of the, uh, the communism and just kept the, you know, the, uh, the oligarchy, which the Soviet Union had. That's, that's one thing people forget. Um, yeah, it's just, they never really completely got out of that. And it's a, it's a very strange situation because the people are still easily, not even suppressed. They just voluntarily go along with what the government says out of this old kind of Soviet mentality, this patriotism, this, uh, I don't even know how else you describe it. It's just, it just, it's just a national unity of some sort that 
it, honestly, at this point, is so undeserved. It's wild, but it, it is what it is. Yeah, and just so everybody knows, my opinion, there's always been, and I'm not going to use the word oligarch, I'm going to use the word corporatocracy. I think that when you come right down to it, whether it's an oligarch with his or her uh, military forces, uh, whether it's a corporatocracy that provides military procurement uh, items, etc., every every nation, whether it's a principality, whether it's a dictatorship, there's always going to be, uh, you, you've got to have your people. You got to have your uh, your knights in shining armor around you. You've got to have your noblemen and women who uh, rule with an iron fist. In some cases, some of them are benevolent dictators in their own little regime. But it's all a it's all a hierarchy and uh, keeping those people under control. And I think it's going to be fair to say Putin is losing control of that. It is. It's an obvious eventuality of the of the problem they're dealing with. They invaded without a a realistic perspective on the capability of their forces and the response from the rest of the world. Uh, the only real serious perspective that seems to make any sense to me anyway, is that they invaded with the same assumptions that they did with in 2014. It was just larger scale and that their forces were more modernized than they were then. The problem is they completely uh, miscalculated the reaction of the Ukrainian people um, for some reason, they assumed that their battle space preparation was effective and that they would not have the resistance that they're having. And they also miscalculated the response from the West. And it's funny because the most important part of that response from the West is that people need to remember that the, the plan of the Biden administration and most European leaders was that this was going to be over in a couple days, just like the Russians had, and that there was no plan to do anything. The plan was to evacuate high-profile, valuable people and set up a a government in, in abstention or, or, or a, whatever they call that. Um, so the reality is, is that the reaction from the Ukrainian people is what has caused this entire chain reaction to pr- be where we're at today. This is not something that is... Uh, being orchestrated from the West, and there's you know there's all these grand conspiracy theories about what's going on. But the reality is, is uh, people in the West, particularly the United States, support people that stand up for themselves. And the Ukrainians did not, mainly because of the government transition and the complications of what was going on ten years ago, almost did not have the same kind of support that they have now. And we were much more willing to support them because, whoa, look, Russia's actually weak. We can take advantage of this, not only for our own reasons, but also to prop up somebody that actually deserves to, to live. It, it's just a. It's. I think it's important to remember that because our 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 donations and our gifting of of weapons and money and all this stuff is not purely altruistic. Like we have motivations behind this. We absolutely have, we have strategic goals behind this, and none of this would be possible though without the people themselves saying no. We want to be free, and we will fight to the death if that's what's necessary. In that kind of situation, the West has, you know, at least from an optics perspective, in my view, you have no other choice other than to support them because they're preaching what we want to hear. Well, I think one of the things that's important to to never forget is that there is a true survive or die mentality among the Ukrainians, and they they deserve to have that, that opinion. And one of the things I, I watched, I watched, oh, maybe a quarter of it. I didn't have a chance to finish the whole thing. 
a gentleman who I refer to as an entertainment economist. He has some things that are interesting, but he's lost a lot of credibility with you and I know. But the other fellow that he was with is a, uh, what we'll call him a venture capitalist. He's an investment advisor. Um, he has gone over there. He is actually fighting on the front lines. And he was very passionate about what he saw and the fact that, and, and just paraphrasing, he said, we're not fighting to win. We're fighting to survive. He said, the Russians literally kill us. Yes. And he went through a couple of examples of villages, cities, where every single person is murdered. And we're talking civilians. We're talking children. And he made a very clear distinction, which you did a long time ago. And, and I try to do this as often as I can. People will use words very loosely like the word discrimination versus bias and everything is lumped together. And two words that are lumped together are the words annihilation and disseminate and uh, decimation. And he said, you know, this is not in, in a lot of wars, you know, there is decimation. You lose 10% of your population, of your manufacturing, of your land, you know, everything. Because so we're talking not 10%, we're talking annihilation. We're talking, they have a long history. And he went through a couple of examples which you are incredibly familiar with, they just wiped everything out. So, well, yeah, that, that's what I was going to say. Is I, remind me about that because there's there was a huge turning point in my mentality in, in observing this in very early, well, before it even started, that really changed my perspective on on what was going on. Well, I'll give you a quick setup on that, and I'll finish one item. Something that you can see now on the uh, interwebs, the UB tubies. Um, the Russians just recently did a parade. What yeah. I mean by that is they paraded all of these Ukrainian children out. Oh, yeah, that's disgusting. And and if you, I, I'm dead serious, you look in the eyes of these children, it says everything. I I got to tell you, I'm, I'm too old to go to war, uh, although there are men over there who are more than 10 years older than me and 20 years older than me fighting Maybe twenty is pushing it, but twenty is pushing it, but but definitely there are plenty plenty older that even if they're not on the front lines, although I know of one that is definitely older. Yeah, you got a guy was um, he 74, 75, literally on the front lines. Yep. Yeah. Um, but you know, most people that are your age or older are definitely doing things in support capacities, do leveraging their wisdom and their perspective and their knowledge of of managing people or supplies or doing other things that that they're very capable of doing. And I'll let you uh, work into this. We, we, so you look in the eyes of these children, and I, I got to finish this up. If I was a young man in my 20s, single, I mean, I can see myself, you know, when I was working in law enforcement saying, you know what, I'm done. Um, maybe I would go over. Uh, maybe if I had, you know, military training, I would say, you know, this is just humanely wrong. It's not a white, a black, a yellow. A, no, it's, it's inhumane. It's inhumane. And the other it's, thing it's is really simple. I mean, that's what it is. No, it's just it's it is a lack of respect for other human beings, and it's the whole situation is grotesque. And the reason the reason it it angers me the most, more, more than anything else, is people like to make excuses for things and whatever. Most most of these these the rationale for for the conflict is just made up paranoia, schizophrenic crap from the Kremlin and other, other Kremlin associated mouthpieces. Like I'm, I'm not even joking. Like there are many, most of these things have zero shred of credibility and the shred of, and, and 
okay, let's say they have a little bit of credibility. Some of them do. But the bit of credibility comes from a place of such ignorance and lack of understanding of how the world works. It's hard to even understand how you can come to these conclusions and actually take them seriously. I mean, one of the things, going back to the very beginning, was this was this complaint about, oh, the bio labs. Are these people, I thought back then, this is just ridiculous. How can anybody believe this? And I'm honestly now at, the pl- at a place where I very much have a part of me thinks that these people are so civilizationally retarded in the truest sense of the word. Like they, they are, they're backward and I'm not making fun of them. I'm not, you know, using it as a, as a pejorative. I'm using it in the truest sense of the word. They're civilizationally backward to the point that a large portion of their population believes really stupid stuff like this. Yep. And you know, it's ev- there's lots of proxy evidence to talk to, to come to these conclusions. I mean, the, the, ultimate example that we've talked about before is just a huge portion of the population that still goes to the bathroom and outhouses. Now that's not to say that there's anything really technically wrong with that. I mean, there's probably some plenty of circumstances of people doing that in the U S where it makes sense because you're living rurally or whatever, but uh, we still managed to solve that problem. We don't have outhouses in, um, within the, uh, let's say 20, 30 mile radius of Oak of the city of Tampa. No. And I, you can't say that about any place in no, Russia. No. Not what not in Moscow, not St. Petersburg, not anywhere. No, no. And it's also just you know the language and, and the manipulation of the population. Um there's a lot of aspects of this. I mean a good example I saw one today that the um uh leader of the of, of Chechnya who is like a little serf to Putin. Um he uh let's see his name is Ramzan Kedarov. Um, he awarded himself the hero of Chechnya medal. That's like, Bi- that, that would be like Biden getting up and giving him like, uh, what is the freedom award? He'd be giving it to himself though. Right. Everybody thought it was a little silly that Obama gave it to Biden when he was, before he left office. Yep. And we all thought it was a little silly, but also, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I think most people thought Biden was done with politics after that. So it kind of made sense, right? Sure. Um, I mean, you know, in the grand scheme of things, like him or hate him. You know, he was an old man. Most people thought he was retiring from politics. And, uh, you know, he's been in the government for a million years. And, you know, at the, at, in, the, in the grand scheme of things, I guess he's done some things that, you know, some people agree with and whatever. He definitely an iconic U.S. senator, no question there, um, just given the length of. So, okay, sure. This guy is, Katerov, he's given it to himself. Like, it's just, it's comical. And the, and the worst part is, is, you know, the history of Chechnya is so gross with how the Russians have treated them. And you have this leader who just sucks up to, to Putin and, and the, the Russian regime, despite the conflicts that they had with Russia in my lifetime. Not just, you know, one generation ago, two, three, four. No, no, no. Like most living people in Chechnya, other than like babies, remember this. I mean, this conflict, like this, was, this conflict was going on when we invaded Iraq. In 2004. Oh, yeah. Most people don't realize the methodical uh, re-acquisition uh, of some of the old Eastern Bloc oh, yeah. territories. Yeah, I mean, mo- most people have no idea that, that there's, you know, a country by the name of Moldova. Moldova is not part of the EU, and it is not part of NATO. It is a, I, the best, I, I, I saw somebody describe the Moldovan situation in the history of, of Eastern Europe. And I won't go into it because it's a whole long story, but basically he described them as a, a breakaway state of a breakaway state because okay. 
Moldova is like a breakaway state of Romania. Okay. They used to all kind of be part of the same big blob. And going back to the Soviet uh, kind of uh, Bolshevik era, when um, the Soviet Union was in expansionist mode, uh, this was a piece that was, there was a lot of conflict over. And so Moldova has this like chunk that's kind of broken off. Anyway, but, but there's a section, but Moldova is interesting because it's not part of the EU. It's not part of NATO, even though they have a, you know, a fairly small a susceptible country, not a lot of population density, mostly rural farmers, kind of like you get in that general area. But they're not; they'd have no protection agreements from anybody. And nobody knows why, because most people don't know their don't even know recent history. It's because they have a section of their territory that is under dispute, and that that area is called Transnistria, and that piece of land not Transylvania. Um, no, not Transylvania. That's north. That's, that's in Romania. North. That is actually a place, by the way. It for is. It okay, is. It's in so. And Dracula does live there. But Dracula, besides Putin <laughs> in uh, Moscow, this place is really cool. Go ahead. Yeah, it's just a little... Stri- so Transnistria is this little strip of land. So it's a breakaway of a breakaway state, basically, is, is the point. And it sits between its northern border, I believe. If it doesn't touch, it gets really close to Romania. Its western border is Moldova. And its eastern border is Ukraine. And this breakaway territory... You can't see because this is audio only, but I'm I'm doing finger quotes right here. This breakaway territory is occupied by Russia, and this happened in the 90s. Oh, another one of those little incursions. Yep, exactly. In the middle of the night, we're here to help stabilize things. And as we speak, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on politically with this because Moldova, there's talks of reintegration of Moldova back into Romania and them kind of merging together. Um, there needs to be resolution on this Transnistrian issue because Russia still has about 2,000 troops there. And they also have uh, what is believed to be the largest stockpile of Soviet ammunition and artillery, uh, artillery and, and regular ammunition in all of Europe. Really? Yeah. The problem with Russia is it can't get it out. It's not useful for them. Oh. So what's interesting is... Russia used, and two thousand guys are pretty easy to overwhelm, especially when we've seen how yes. or they uh, behave. And, and but since the beginning of the war, Russia has not been able to fly a plane, do anything. So it's very inter- it's a very interesting problem for them because it is completely landlocked due to their uh, let's just call it ineptitude. Um, but that aside, I mean the, the the Transnistria situation is 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 a thing we could talk about for an hour by itself. But so to just kind of remind people, you have that um, in this in the, in uh, what by up by the Baltics, you've got uh, Kaliningrad, which is a <laughs> piece of territory. I, I have I've never understood how that damn thing exists. Um, political compromise. Yeah, uh, it's no different than how Berlin. You have Berlin was an island in the middle, and we basically did it to them, right? Well, Same thing. Go ahead and finish it up because I I know where. People don't know what you're talking about. I guarantee it. Yeah. So you've got you've got Kaliningrad, which is which is a breakaway territory um, that the Soviets were able to retain, and then you go. Uh, but so that's an old one. But let's look at just things that have happened in, in the recent recent history, uh, basically since I've been alive. You have Transnistria. That's a that's a problem. That was a acquired land after the breakup of the Soviet Union. Okay. Next, you have uh, this situation in Ukraine. Uh, they acquired or attempted to what uh, 
the Luhansk and Donetsk, they only got part of those, and then Crimea, okay? So we have, what, two separate additional territories because most people view those as two separate things. So now we have three separate territorial disputes, but there's another one that nobody talks about. There's actually two. It's with Georgia, not the state, but the country. Of course, most, it, of course it's, not, that, it's not the peach, uh, speech state. No, and, and I'm pretty sure that lost, you know, 50% of Americans just right off the top there. Not our listeners. Um, our listeners tend to be a little little higher I, caliber. I would I would hope so. By a, I'm by just a saying, magnitude of a thousand. I would hope so. But I just mean I'm just generally speaking, because most people just don't know that there there is a country called Georgia. Um yeah, so that one's a, a particularly inter- particularly interesting. Um but there are two land grabs there. And I won't go into the details of it, but you know, those happened in uh, what, one in two thousand eight and one prior to that where they went in and they fought over these disputed territories and uh, it actually origins go back even further. But, you know, Georgia suffered the same fate that Ukraine did in, in that they lost to the Russian military. Uh, but in both cases of Ukraine and Georgia, the, the future was foretold on how this, a true war would, with, with Russia would, would play out if people took it seriously because they were so incompetent and so inept at fighting people that almost couldn't fight back, you know. And let's, and let's be a, blunt about a, it. That has been the Russian mo for yeah many Russia, hundred years. Russia have, can't Russia can't fight. They can't. They never have. And this is this is they can kill a lot of people. When I say they can't fight, it doesn't mean they literally can't fight. But Russia can't fight in an organized, in, methodical manner. Yeah, so I was with say command it. and control and and logistics and and supply can't do it they can't fight an organized and effective combined arms military and that's and something it, they just don't have the capability of doing right and one of the things people always talk about is they'll say things like well you know the russians beat uh, adolf hitler and uh, stalingrad and and you know yada 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 the weather and other issues beat hitler there um in fact no, the a, a lack of resources and i can go on and on different. well the soviets won in the 40s against the Germans for one reason. The Germans had to fight a two-front war. Well, it ended up being more than that in the end. But anyway, and then they also, the Soviets got infinite supplies from the West. Correct. In modern-day numbers, trillions and trillions of dollars of, of, of supplies went from the West to the East. And if it wasn't for that, the Russia would have, would have collapsed, you know... But I, I honestly think probably just based on my reading of, you know, the timelines and how desperate the Soviets were and all of this stuff, probably by 43, like it would have been done. Yeah. They would have totally collapsed. Maybe there would have been this like weird state in, you know, um, I guess what, what east of the Urals, but it's, that wouldn't have been a territory that anybody cared about. And the Soviet state as it existed would have, would have been done would have been created and uh, and done within fifty years. And, yeah, but but, but I, I think it's important for people to remember. Like our support for Ukraine doesn't even amount to you know that doesn't amount to hardly anything by comparison to that conflict. I mean, in the U.S., uh, whatever the guy's name is, an Italian guy, Chef Boyardee, mm-hmm. he got a Hero of the Soviet Union, uh, Order of Stalin, or something award. Nobody knows that, by um, the way. And several other people did. Uh, several other American industrialists who, and the reason for that was because we supplied so much canned ravioli that the Soviet soldiers needed to literally survive that they gave that award to him. 
and it wasn't just ravioli it was other products that they were able to make and, and and ship but you know by the time that the the soviet union uh was was marching on on berlin they were driving american vehicles shooting american ammunition it, it's it was ridiculous I mean, and that and it goes back to world war one american even. radios you know, it just everything there they were using at that by that by the point that point, you know, America was the workshop of the world for that war, and it's just baffling for to me that most people don't even know that. So I'm a I'm a little guy, and my uncle, uh, great uncle Walt, uh, was in World War One, and Walt got shot in the uh, forehead, and uh, he was carried off to a barn and left for dead. And uh, instead of being dead, he was knocked out and had, he woke. He had a bad concussion. He had a bad concussion. He woke up, looked around, saw all these dead people around him in different body parts and ran out yelling, great Caesar's ghost. <laughs> and uh, this was during the white and red revolution right after World War I. It's just, it's just a continuation of, of the Bolshevik revolution. And People I t- don't realize that that the that the Soviet government did not actually win instantaneously, and they had to deal with revolts against their uh, seizing of power. And this this ha- this this period lasted what two three years after the the closure of World War One. Yes, so it's in the same time period, the teens. So it, Walt's still in the uh, U.S. Army, and he is uh, up there uh, supplying. Uh, with all the other Americans, uh, the Russians, and uh, to make a long story short, I remember the big family reunions back in the in the '60s, and uh, he would say uh, he never swore, he never swore. And this is the man who lived to be uh, over a hundred and never had indoor plumbing. He would go outside to take a dump, and uh, lived up in in the middle part of Michigan. So I mean, he was he was hardcore. Absolutely. Did he have the money? Yeah. Did he ever have a driver's license? No. <laughs> Did the cops do anything with him? No. He was a he was just an outstanding, up, upstanding, outstanding citizen. But he used to tell a story, and my dad used to say to me, "Walt never swears." And he used to say, "Those damn Russians, bunch of damn fools," because they they would get the vehicles off the boats, and they would just drive like maniacs. Didn't check the for oil. There could have been. He said the number. I, I remember him telling this great story. He said. This damn fool, he said, I'm, this is almost verbatim, damn fool drove this brand new truck, brand new Ford truck, mashed the gas, shifted the gears, got about 400 yards down the road, engine blew up. Because the thing, it, it leaked. It, it, you know, Things leak on the way over from, uh, from the other side of the pond. No, no that's just what they did. And yeah. he's, the, the, the waste was unbelievable. And he never understood why we didn't go in and mop up Phase two, just like my dad never understood why we didn't do that after World War Two. Yeah, and so they would sit. And they would sit back. You know, one fought in World War One, one in World War Two, and then they would sit back in the '60s and talk about this kind of stuff, like, and and before my birth. Well, I think it's important to make it clear because I don't think it was that Walt was in the U.S. military after World War One. I. I think the year this happened was 1916 or 17, and. Well, that would be the middle of the war. Anyway, whatever it was, 16 or 17, I think it was actually technically after World War One had been completed. And this is the uprisings against the Soviet um, coup that happened against the uh, the Tsar regime. Yep, exactly. And 
people don't realize that the Western powers created a little coalition. I think it was the U S Britain, a couple other people. And we actually sent people and supplies up to some of these Northern ports to assist the, the what's called the whites. Cause it was the, uh, the white, um, I think Cossacks versus the reds, Russian, uh, communists. Right. And we basically helped them for a short time, but for one reason or another, uh, the history on that's uh, extremely controversial. But anyway, politics um, didn't last long, and, and we we backed out. But what's interesting is where did those people go after the they lost the uh, the fight? Generally speaking, do you, do you know? No, I really don't. Ukraine. I mean, it doesn't. Co- oh, that's right. I knew that. I'm sorry. Didn't and even. Do- there's tons and tons and tons of stuff that happened. Ukraine has fought Russians forever. Russia. People like to talk about, you know, the history. It's just a continuation of an ongoing struggle that's been going on for 100 years. Oh, it's long. Over 100 years. Well, 19... Th- this yeah. conflict has been going on since since Muscovy was founded. Correct. Because people don't realize the Kievan Rus are from Ukraine. Russia spawned from Ukraine. Russia is like this bastard child demon spawn of the people that founded Ukraine, at least in, in, in as far as modern history is concerned. And that, it's funny. There was, a, I do like that demon spawn. It's what they are, man. It's, it's because you literally cannot negotiate with crazy. You cannot have a rational argument with crazy. And that's what's going on in Russia. And anybody says, Oh, you're making a big, yeah, it really is. The, the thing you have to remember is it's, is it a broad generalization? Yes. But it is, is it an accurate representation of the people who have run the Russian state for the past, I don't know, 120 years? I would say yes. The people that, that have run that state, the people who have been able to climb the ladders of success in, in that uh, country since the Bolshevik Revolution have been nothing but, you know, in the West we just call them evil. They are some of the most backward, awful people, especially to their own people in, in particular. You know, they use and abuse their own people for personal gain and their own narcissistic, insane desires of conquest. And it just happens over and over. And there's obviously nothing that's going to change their mind. They'll lose, they'll rebuild, and they'll come back with, with another group of people. I mean, it's just, it's just what they do. But the point is, is that you know, there's a funny meme uh, in the beginning of the war that, or before the war started where Ukraine was taunting Russian uh, Ukrainian politicians were taunting Russian politicians with a, a picture of Moscow, you know, circa the year like 1400. And it was just a picture of a swamp. <laughs> and then it showed a picture of, of Kiev in the same year. And there's a painting or something like that of what it looked like because Kiev has been there for a long, 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 long time. I mean, Kiev is, is, is old enough that it got invaded by Mongols. Yeah, that's a lot. failed that's, to like, that's those are the days of that boy called Genghis. That's a long time him, ago. Him or his son, I don't recall like the timeline, but yeah, exactly. And it's it, it's not that there's anything wrong or that one's better than the other as far as oh they were founded first or last or whatever, but it just shows you that there's this relationship there, and for some reason there's a hatred behind a lot of these uh, let's just call them psychotic leaders of Russia. And they dislike the fact that Ukrainians have a distinct and separate identity that throughout most of their history, they have attempted to get away, separate, and they don't want to be part of this 
you know, this, this, this Russian empire concept. And, and honestly, I mean, a lot of the stuff also goes back to, you know, to Tsarist Russia as well. There's, there's conflicts and fights that happen there too. And, and we, so. I bring that up in, and I wanted you to, to chat a little bit about that is my, my point for everyone is that there is no history. There is no history of any substance of a peaceful transfer of power in Russia. This is true. And we can go back to uh, Gorbachev. We can go back to, uh, you know, Brezhnev dies, and all of a sudden everything goes, goes sideways. You had uh, uh, Yeltsin having to get back into power and the, the famous picture of him standing on a tank. Sure, yeah. You know, just like we had Bush standing on the rubble next to the old firefighter on 911. You know, that was one of those Kodak moments. But, you know... We have too many people today who have lived such a soft life for so long that, you know, cracks are viewed as potholes and potholes are viewed as roadblocks and roadblocks are viewed as the end of the world. And it's not, none of that is true. But we will have some very serious armed conflict, whether it can be kept within the borders of Russia. Not, not a high probability of that, but, you know, maybe. Uh, but there are so many things that you can, you can, if you just think about it, one of the things is that if you connect the dots, you can see here in the United States that we have, especially among uh, Trump supporters, the hardcore Trumpers uh, who are, you know, saying things like we should support Russia and Ukraine as being run by Biden and his son's laptop computer and all that. But I call back to the days of Baghdad Bob, where you're Baghdad Bob, the public relations guy for uh, Iraq, um, was, oh, no, the Russians, the Americans are not, we will defend it. The tanks are right there, Bob. Yep. And, oh, no, no, we will take those out. We will. Are you are you nuts? They're, they're, they're soldiers. Hey, like, with it, you got to give the guy credit. He, he, of course. I he, mean, he did his job. He did his he, job. He lied spectacularly, spectacularly well. I think he wound up living in France and working for a public relations firm. Seriously. I, I, I don't know. I've never looked him up. Yeah. But here's the thing. I, I say this because one of the things that the Russians have been saying that they will use nuclear weapons against Ukraine and anybody else if they go ahead and take Russian land, which is now Crimea. And people don't understand um, that was part of Ukraine. And what Russia has, I mean, you've got to give these guys, they got chutzpah, they got uh, cojones. Um, we invaded, we took it, we wrote on a piece of paper that we annexed it, now it's ours, so if you want it back, you're now invading us, we get to use the ultimate weapons against you. This is the kind of logic, parading little girls out who are being held captive in Russia for breeding purposes. If you look at these kids, it's like... Well, not only that, but there's a, there's a, what is it, a, there's a a PR ceremony of some sort where Putin gave a medal or something to some woman who runs a, you know, Ukrainian uh, adoption agency, Ukrainian child adoption agency. Really? Yeah. It, it, like this stuff goes all the way to the top and it's, and it's rotten. I mean, I was going to mention earlier, you know, the, one of the things that really changed my view on this in a much more um, in, in hindsight, realistic perspective, it kind of washed away a lot of the, the PR and the, the, call it the media brainwashing that they've they've done a pretty pretty good job at, at convincing us that they were very different that they had changed their ways and they were just like us um was looking uh, I, th I think it was some ukrainians who were sharing it but they shared from the georgian war 
Okay. In uh, 2008, they shared pictures, uh, satellite pictures, of villages where a lot of the conflicts had happened, where the Russians had done exactly what we now are completely uh, desensitized to, which is the Russians will just raise an entire village with artillery. They'll just destroy every last bit of it. They literally bomb them to the Stone Age. Yeah, I mean, level every structure in the village. And then, you know, these are picture, satellite pictures from 2008. You know, the war only lasted a couple of weeks. And then you compare that to satellite pictures from like last year or the year before, whatever it was. Nothing has changed. Absolutely nothing has changed other than the fact that the earth has basically taken the village back. All you can see is the well-worn vehicle marks or roads that are disappearing or, you know, in in another five or 10 years, it's gone. They, They say that, oh, we're here to protect civilization and people from being oppressed. Well, where is the village? Because I can tell you every time we did shit like this overseas, we bomb a village, we, we do things, whatever. What's the, what's the one thing that everybody complains about that we do when we have wars? We do oh, either a big so or much little, money because yep, Marshall plans USA. We go there and we rebuild, rebuild. things and all mm-hmm. this stuff because at the end of the day, we feel bad. We blew your stuff up. Yep. Some, some, some assholes came in and, you know, took a village hostage and you got to do what you got to do. You got to beat them, but then, okay, we feel bad. We're going to come back and rebuild it. Okay, cool. Makes sense. These guys, nah, they just move you to another village and keep on moving. They don't care. There's, and, there's no desire to fix anything or repair anything. And if, it or and if you don't want to move, they dig a, dig a hole, they, uh, they uh, kill you and bury you. And, that, and there's a lot of that. Oh, it, it, no question. But I just, to me, it was just one of those things. I was like, like, people were born there, people live there. Like, families were created and destroyed in, in these places. And these people just don't even, just, they, they have no regard the people that occupied these that, that occupied these territories that used to live there so that's when i i mean i think i saw that before the war but it made a big impact on me um and now that you, now we can see it we've seen it for a year you can see it happen every day and it just shows you that all of their their lip service that they give to oh we're here to we were protecting people from you know the evil fascist jewish nazi bio lab super nato soldiers that you know the west and zelensky the drug addict Zelensky and, and his uh, Western cocaine distributors, you know, are imposing upon the the the, the brain controlled people of, of Ukraine. All of those things are like little propaganda pieces from Russian TV or media. It's it's actually funny not not to get into now, but but they make these ridiculous accusations that they're there to help the people. How? I don't I don't understand what what part of what part of this is is help. And, and obviously the same thing takes place, not just in Georgia, but every other place they go. They just bring death and destruction with them, and it's terrible. Well, if you, you take the word help and you flip the P and make a little modification, it does not help, it's hell they bring with them. Uh, for some people, there's no question. So as, as this war drags on, this, quote, conflict, as some people like to talk about or dispute over land, which is always amazing to me, the state-owned industries in Russia are suffering. Uh, always remember, never forget, if it wasn't for the U.S., uh, China would be on its back uh, and just be a big, dumb uh, nation. Same thing with Russia. We supply technology and, of course, depending upon the circumstances, high-end technology and manufacturing comes from us. Low-end comes from ever, everywhere else. And um, the Russians are running out of stuff, and they don't have Big Brother to bail them out. No. Coming up, so now they're going to be relying on China. Now, China, 
better be concerned because, you know, they get involved and they're going to have a problem because the private militias and militaries, like I said, with Gazprom and the, the Wagner Group and, and, and et cetera, uh, you could easily see some real serious issues there. Now, there's a lot of things that we can tie together. And one of the things, I'll take a quick, quick item here. As a registered investment advisor, our firm, uh, Truesdale Wealth now is the name of the firm. Truesdale Wealth, what we have is a military war, military procurement, but a, a, a war portfolio. If you're interested in that, give us a call. Leave a message at 212-433-2525. If you're interested in our war portfolio, give us a call at 212-433-2525. Leave a message and we'll get back with you. We tend to, uh, we're very busy. But that is something that I think a lot of people, no matter what your age, you should be prepared for. And it makes a lot of sense to me. But with China, they can make some very quick, bad miscalculations because uh, a lot of you may not realize, but I call it suburbia, but it's actually Siberia. Um, in Siberia, they supposedly had a, a poll, a referendum, and they want out. They want to be their own uh, state. Yeah, it was a section of Siberia. It wasn't the whole thing, obviously, but but yeah, there's there's rumblings of different areas in the country that are not satisfied with the central government leadership. And obviously, you know, one's one thing and you start seeing more. Exactly. You know, it, it, one is it, one, two, you know, that whole concept. But it, it, yeah. it, it's 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 a it's a data point that that we yeah. have to pay a lot of attention to. And I think the other thing that you brought my attention to, which I knew, but until you mapped it out. A lot of those uh, far, uh, what we'll call uh, eastern settlements in Siberia, or the Russian version of suburbia, uh, and it is suburbia because there's nothing that goes on over there. You know, as I said, burp. The the a lot of those places are run by Chinese. Yes, the Chinese have a huge influence, in particular in the economies of the villages and, and areas in in let's just call it. Um, Eastern Russia, which makes sense. I mean, they're they're the large dominant power uh, in Asia, and obviously this area is just North Asia, effectively. Um, but yeah, yeah, there's there's a huge amount of influence on primarily the economy. You know, you go to a random you know corner store in some mildly populated village in, in Siberia, and you're going to see mostly Chinese goods. So what we look at in our firm is yes, Ukraine. In the war there is one thing, but NATO has actually grown a, a set of uh, NADs, and they're they're helping them, and and it, it's it's changing now. <clears throat> I got to tell you, the Russians make one bad move if they start talking about taking over Poland again. Those people are gonna they're gonna they're gonna go after it. Okay, so you got that going on. But what I think people are not talking about, nobody's talking about this in my opinion, is what we will do. If and when, it's not a question of if, it's when Russia falls and the Chinese begin to annex Siberia. Now, that puts them really close to Alaska. And that happens to be one of our states. I, granted, we've got the 48 and then we got Hawaii and, and Alaska. But that's going to be a total game changer. And, I, and we've got a, a, pop, a pop economist, an entertainment economist that's making a lot of rounds out there. And some of his stuff is pretty good, but some of it is completely off. One of the things he said is that the U.S. is pulling back 
on this Navy. We're not doing these things. We're not going to protect shipping and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I got news for you. There is a repositioning of assets in the event that something happens. We've got a big buffer between us with the with the um, Europe, Western Europe, but we don't have the kind of buffer, a big ocean, the Pacific. But we we need to muscle up over there. And I think you you got to stay. You got to pay real careful attention to our uh, carrier groups and where they're going and what's going on. Yeah, there. There's a lot of possibilities on what could shake out there. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't have a firm grasp on what anybody's willing to do, largely because I think everybody's very hesitant to project anything because nobody really knows what they're doing. Um, but it's fair. I think men and women in the country need to be playing war games in their own head wow. and getting used to yeah. the potential of, ooh, you know, you're not going to get an iPhone uh, for the next three years because uh, we're at war with China. I, I don't think there's ever going to be a, a full-on war with China. Uh, no, I agree with to, you. To what a lot of uh, people think. I think the thing, that, the, the issue with China is, is going to be, you know, I've said this before, they are a, a very, very, very powerful regional actor. And um, they don't have the capability in long term, they don't have the ability to, to sustain it, for sure. They don't have the capability of, of, of creating or maintaining that in, in any significant, for, for any significant amount of time. Um, and they do have a baby boomer problem. They do have an oh, aging yeah. population. They do have a regressive population in terms. And, you know, people are even talking uh, that will India be the next China in terms of manufacturing? Uh, they're already doing a lot, but um, there's a mindset as far as work ethic and other things. Well, there's also just the fact that they're a country that's now larger on paper anyway than, than China by population and they have to do, they have to make a lot of stuff just to sustain themselves. And they're a very, they've, uh, they're an interesting country where they, they have a lot of domestic manufacturing pride and they want, they want to be in control of their own destiny, which makes all the sense in the world to me. They've, they're learning, they're learning a lot of lessons that other people haven't. Um, but yeah, there, there's, there's a lot of interesting potential for how things play out. Um, when let's just call it the transition period happens with Russia because so something interesting that happened is that the world's not ending folks just so you know that no no far far from it um but there is something interesting that has happened in the past week is that uh, the Chinese proposed a Chinese foreign minister went to Russia went to Moscow and met with Putin and all of this and he he laid out this grand uh, strategy, this grand presentation about how oh it's their the great Chinese plan to to solve the Ukraine Russia war, and most people saw it and just kind of laughed because it's silly, it's it's a very dumb plan. Uh, it you know there's uh, several points in there that it's it's a uh, no no explicit names, but it's basically complaining about the our sanctions and these sorts of things. Um, and their solution is basically uh, Ukraine just needs to capitulate because, you know, uh, we, we just, we, we, it's, this is causing too many problems. It's like, well, it, it is. But the thing that's to me, that's very interesting is a lot of people viewed this as dumb or childish. And it is both of those things, no question. But it, to me, it makes me wonder what the real purpose of it is. Are the Chinese this short sighted, this, um, uh, do they have this this high opinion of themselves to think that this would go over well? 
Because it is kind of embarrassing. You mean like the video of show your passport and everything's going to yes, be fine? Absolutely. We'll, we'll talk about that another time. Yeah. That, uh, that's just way too deep that, that we can get into. But it, but so my, my, my thinking on this is initially was like, okay, this is just standard Chinese hubris and childish kind of thinking. But another part of me also wonders if, if this is China pacifying Russia of saying, hey, we're doing something. But also complaining about the obvious problems that they will have if they start very clearly supplying Russia with uh, especially lethal aid. And it makes me wonder if this is just one step in kind of, uh, like I said, pacifying them in the short term, knowing that there's nothing they can really do uh, that doesn't hurt their own position severely. And they also don't get along with the Russians. Like it's, it's a, it's a, well, yeah, I mean, it's people- a partnership made in hell. Uh, for the most part, because they they both I mean they Russia and the United States have we've we have rivalries we have proxy wars against each other but we've never fought directly as opposed to the Chinese and the Russians in the Sino-Russian yeah. war and people yeah. don't they had more than one by the way yeah they they had but they but they've directly fought and they've had this kind of uh, not so easy relationship for a long time, which was the fundamental flaw among those in the CIA and and other type organizations back in the uh, old 40s, 50s, and 60s, and even to the 70s, where they thought there was an unholy alliance between these guys, and there there isn't. Uh, they, they, yeah, when the reality was they hated each other just as much as you know uh, the Soviets hated the United States and vice versa. It's, and we yeah, in last one. in last episode we talked about I think we talked about in last episode about the Chinese invading uh, Vietnam. Yes, but nobody nobody knows, no. and they had their ass handed to them. So yeah. Um, you know, so I, I, part of me wonders if this is just pacifying the Russians, like, yeah, yeah we're all nuclear powers, yep, you're great, uh-huh, and just kind of giving them lip service to try and get through this um, because the Chinese are desperately uh, dependent on, on Russian coal and oil exports and, and natural gas because um, China has very few of any of those. Yeah, and the reason why China is building uh, nuclear power plants is they have to. <laughs> they Yes. They, they dam up... Uh, they dam up insane rivers and sizes, and there's only so much hydroelectric power you can get, even if you have the kind of rivers that China does. Yeah, so I guess in the in my thinking is that there's it makes me wonder how pragmatic the transition will be. Um, you know, people inside the Russian government, it would behoove them to um, deal with Putin in a way that is, uh, let's say, forceful, but in a peaceful, uh, very sane transition, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, like Putin's ruined his reputation, and that is what it is, and that's something he's going to have to live with. Um, and whether he lives with it for uh, three or four seconds or for 10 or 20 years into his twilight, uh, that's going to be up to him. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 it, to me it seems like he's not willing to give up because his fate is now totally intertwined with this conflict. He went from potentially having a Stalin-like um, reputation into the, you know, uh, historical reputation as someone who, you know, may have not have been the best uh, person, but, you know, shepherded the state and blah, 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 very long-lasting leader. Uh, and now he's somebody who is going to likely either be pushed out or die in the middle of a massive uh, cataclysmic conflict 
that is not as bad as uh, World War II. You know, nobody's marching on Moscow, but it is hugely embarrassing for the Russian state. Um, And, you know, for, for him and for his legacy, you know, it's either going to be he voluntarily gives up and admits defeat, or it's going to be, you know, he... I think the people talk about, oh, people are going to kill him X, Y, or Z. I think, you know, in, in reality, you'll have a Stalin situation where he'll die from unknown circumstances, and then there'll be a power struggle afterwards to figure out who's in charge. Now, will there be a power struggle, or will it be a peaceful transition, and this person manages the, let's call it a defeat in Ukraine? I don't know. This is the problem with a lot of uh, Putin's uh, let's call it um, uh, people management skills, where he's been able to perfectly intertwine most of the obvious players that you would want that, that have you know some amount of influence or cachet among the people, and he's been able to perfectly intertwine everybody into this responsibility for the war, and that's a dangerous thing because you know you could have this you could have an unknown dark horse appear that is of unknown quant that is in not a known quantity. Uh, usurp power um, is that likely i don't think so i think it's going to be one of the one of the idiots that we all know a little too well and this next leader may be worse than putin himself yeah and if you think about the movie the hunt for red october that was a fear yeah. in that movie and, and you know the question for that ultimately ends up being does that just lead to the next conflict or does the intoler the 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 Unwillingness to tolerate, I guess, uh, this new person who is potentially worse lead to the civil conflict that we're talking about. I don't know. But all I know is that the United States doesn't want an unstable Russia despite the conflict. Uh, China definitely doesn't. And most in Europe don't. Yeah, you you want to have some type of continuity of government. You don't want everybody to go into uh, Mad Max mode. No. No, Mad Here's the thing, Mad Max mode with with a, with a country like uh, I don't know Uzbekistan or uh, even like Turkey, somebody of that stature would be a problem, but it wouldn't be the end of the world. Um, Russia, on the other hand, would be a serious problem. Yeah. Regardless of whether there are trees growing out of their silos or they have a, a random uh, let's call it a missile silos filled with water. And some other funny stuff that I've read. I, I can actually pull that up for you. Give me. A yeah, what you do that. I want to tie in something here. In uh, China, you see these massive, massive numbers of uh, soldiers who are in parade rest, and there's uh, one going around right now among the uh, the uh, Trump Republicans, the mega, uh, the megatards, if you want to call them that. They, <laughs> well, they are. You know, it's just it's gotten to the point where it's so embarrassing. And uh, I saw this article, and this guy. Well, I, I saw the the video, and it's impressive. You know, you know, Mo, Mo, and Mo are all standing there in their in their Mo haircuts and their Mo little Mo uh, jackets, and they're holding their rifles. And this guy just goes off on saying, "There's no way that we could defeat an army of that size. Look at them, thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of these soldiers. You know, they'll we have to we have to we have to uh, get along with them." But the problem is a lot of those that guys. Such the thing. Not, just optics. Not to interrupt, but the thing that is amazing is one people who are impressed by that stuff are usually simpletons. Oh yeah. But the other thing is, is they that, get air. They get airtime though from the that, mass media. But that mentality though, I just don't understand it. It's just oh well, the other person looks stronger, so I'll just just capitulate. To me, that is the, the 
I, I just don't understand that mentality at all. Because, you know, in my mind, I'm, I, you know, we may be so far removed from it, it's crazy, but I still have this, like, kind of cowboy mentality. Like, oh, you, you want to fight? Well, then let's go. Yeah, well, it, it, you know, I, like, I oh, go. you're threatening nuclear weapons <clears throat> and everything. It's like, well, I hope yours are as in tip-top shape as ours are because I know we spend $100 billion a year of our defense budget on on uh, keeping our, our nuclear arsenal up to date. I know you spend about... Ten percent of that, maybe, 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 uh, maybe that's a little optimistic. You know, I, a good example is like um, I was listening to another uh, podcast uh, the other day, and this guy had a fantastic interview. But uh, part of what he was talking about is um, Eric Weinstein on um, Joe Rogan, and in general, it's a, it's a fantastic interview. But part of it, he starts. Uh, and he, and he injected a couple places, like basically crying about, you know, oh, the potential nuclear annihilation. And he's obviously somebody who's very deathly afraid of nuclear weapons. And it's like, okay, it's a, it's an understandable fear considering he's you know roughly your age. And, and he's a, he's a, I don't think he's a physicist, but he's like physicist adjacent, uh, in his work and everything. And, you know, I understand he, he has a legitimate, there's a legitimate fear from that, whatever, but that fear is not enough to convince me to back down from a fight either. And that's the thing I just don't get. Well, here's the thing. We, uh, uh, to, to pull something into that before I go back to my airsoft gun uh, thing, you know, you graduate a bunch of young men and, and, and women from the police academy, but sorry, girls, you graduate a bunch of young men who are, boy, they're picture perfect. You know, they're all like six foot, six foot two. They're all 190 to 210, 20 pounds. They got their uniforms. It's all pressed. They got their shiny badges. They're standing there. They're ready to go out and kick ass and take names. Guess what? At least half of them aren't worth the powder. They weren't, they weren't worth the effort to pin a badge on because once they get into a real fight, they, they fold like a cheap um, umbrella. Sure. I did a job, I know. And, yeah. you know, after they get their ass beat one or two times, like, oh, or the first shooting. That's another thing. Every time there's a shooting in an agency, you, they, they get, the people leave. It's always that way. So, you know, we've had a long history of fighting. But going back to my uh, Chinese all standing like little tin soldiers, um, great example. You could see it. Uh, some of the guns they're carrying, they weren't real guns. No. That, that's a very, very funny phenomenon. When you have a military that is... You know, the entire purpose of it, based on how you describe it, is, oh, we got to show big strength and all this stuff. You know, you got to do your big military parades and drive your missile trucks through the street and all that BS. But then those same people are not trusted enough to have real guns. <clears throat> like, hmm. I'm sorry, bud, but if you don't trust your parade troops to have guns, I'm not afraid of the real ones. Yeah, and, and that's these are legitimate things, just like uh, people said, oh, that's that's just photoshopped in. They wouldn't use a Garmin GPS in one of their high-tech helicopters or jets. Yeah, we're talking about the Russians in this circumstance, and yes, yes, they would. Yeah, because they didn't. So, well, so I was going to mention real quick the, the, regarding the nuclear weapon thing. I found two, uh, well, actually, I think I saved these a long time ago, but anyway, uh, one's from May. It's uh, from a BBC journalist, and he um, talked about how... Uh, he visited um, the Soviet Union uh, sometime after 1991, or in 1991, and he filmed something at a, uh, a Russian nuclear weapons site. This was when they were doing like radical openness, trying to convince everybody not to invade them. That oh, we're going to be sane, and you know, because the Soviets were legitimately concerned that okay, this the government's collapsing, and we're just going to get chomped up piece by piece by the rest we're, of the world. Timing would have been good, and. 
so they did, were doing this radical openness thing where they, you know, we let some of them come on our ships and vice versa. And, you know, it was around this time that Pepsi became the second largest Navy in the world because the Ru Russians needed the, uh, they needed cash and Pepsi was willing to give them a, a giant loan. And in, in turn, they signed over the ownership of a certain section of the Russian Navy to them. It's a very funny story. We got to talk about that one day. Yeah, there, there's all kinds. Of, the, the, that transition period is wild. Like, talk about Wild West, like cowboy stuff. Um, anyway, so this guy said that uh, he, he was a BBC a journalist, and uh, he was in Soviet Union in 91, and he said that uh filmed at a nuclear weapons site, and he said the missile launchers were too rusted to move. Um, a quote from the CO on site said that, quote, we haven't been able to fire our missiles at you, in, at you or America in years. Um, and this guy said that never underestimate Russia's lethargy and chaos, which that that's a perfect segue to what I was going to say. The number of weapons the uh, that Russia has is meaningless. We know for a fact, you and I, that they have they have artillery shells that are literally worthless. Yeah, yeah, they're they're crawling through. In my mind, what the very last of what the Soviet stockpiles what is usable from the Soviet stockpiles based on pictures that I've seen. And you have some artillery battery positions north of Ukraine in Russia where they were trying to do the original assault. They're down to two they're they're down to two artillery shells per installation. And it's they're, just they're, they're down no, the, the the metric is that they're down to two artillery shells per day. Yeah, I mean because a lot of these places they're still they're still shooting off artillery and harassing. But, it, but the quantity that they have available to do so I, I is very, very limited. But they used to shoot off 100 to 200 of these things. They were more, just yeah. not stopping. Now they're down to boom, boom. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, around the end of last year, uh, fall time period, there were a lot of estimates on how many artillery shells have been fired and all these things. And Ukraine's situation is even more complex because... You know, the majority of their equipment is Russian, but they are only had so many stockpiles and they're getting old Soviet stockpiles that are still in, uh, that are in NATO. And then they also have all these American, new American equipment, their shells are different and all this stuff. So, you know, their supply situation is much more complex, but you know, the estimates were that Russia had fired off, uh, you know, three, four, five million artillery shells and the Ukrainians had done a fraction of that. And despite all that, they had had some fairly phenomenal successes and, and uh, there was all kinds of analysis about how many artillery shells do, do they think the Russians have? How many can they produce? Same analysis was done for us. You know, there's this, there's been this huge, you know, Berlin airlift style, uh, global kind of reorganization on uh, every, convincing everybody to manufacture things and and how to do different things to uh, uh, pacify different people's uh, non-intervention policies and different things. But you know, we've been able to figure it out. Because at the end of the day, a lot of these plans were to fight the Soviets, and we've been able to solve the problems. The Soviets, on the other hand, the Russians, don't have the Soviet uh, manufacturing capability. Because people forget so much of that manufacturing capability is in NATO countries. Obviously, a lot of it's destroyed because it's worthless. But, you know, it, it was in NATO countries. It was in places like Ukraine. It was in places like Poland, Czech Republic, the Baltic states. And those places aren't they're they're not they're not part of the Russian sphere of influence or control anymore. They're part of NATO. 
And it's, it's a weird problem they find themselves in because they did not plan properly for the world that they now live in. They did not take seriously any of this. And, and it, you know, part of it makes sense that they have this wacky, uh, let's call it reconquest of lost territories mindset. Because, yeah, I mean, if you are born with that mentality and you want this, this grand uh, empire to exist, I don't see how you do it without these other territories because they never were able to before. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what uh, what's going to happen here. What else do you have before I, I'm going to wrap up on a couple of things because of the amount of time we put onto this because we're never going to get to the other two no. topics I want to talk about. Um, yeah, so the only other item I just, uh, it was from May, uh, it, was, it was a reply to that tweet, and it was a guy who was a, uh, a member of parliament in the UK, so obviously they probably know each other, uh, Brits on, uh, on Twitter. He said that in 2006 when he was... Uh, with the, what is it, the Foreign Affairs Committee in the British Parliament, uh, he visited a civil nuclear reactor at uh, Moscow University, and he said that the trees and bushes were growing through the fence, the security alarm wasn't working, and the Geiger counters they had with them were going crazy because of uh, radiation levels leaking, uh, radiation leaking around fuel storage rooms. He said they left very quickly. That's 2006. Yeah, and there's, it's not. It will not have gotten better. Not dramatically. I can't imagine it would be dramatically better. I mean, things in that t- early two thousands were rough for Russia and the transition, and there's a lot of stuff going on. But I mean, the thing is, like, people who have that kind of disregard for important things like that don't change their their habits very quickly. So. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with us, I'm Paul Truesdell, and uh, I'm Paul the Elder. The other gentleman is Paul the Younger. We share a name. My, I'm his father. He's my son. And we do this periodically on an ad hoc basis. We'll be doing a little bit more of this. But what we're doing is we're not painting an overly rosy or an overly uh, dark picture. We look at things as forecasters, and uh, we just call it the way we see it. You have the quantitative analysis, you do the numbers, then you have the qualitative, which is really hard. And there are gems that come across every once in a while that are amazing. And then there are also people like a fellow who I'm not going to name him, but he's the current uh, entertainment economist and uh, know-it-all that's out there spewing some interesting things, but uh, he's off base on others in, in our opinion. I was going to talk a little bit today, but we're going to maybe save it for the next episode. I was going to talk a little bit about real estate, real estate investment trusts. I was going to talk a little bit about the uh, transformation of uh, shopping centers. It's a a thing that I talked about about 20 years ago, and uh, it's now becoming a a really hardcore thing. I'm going to talk a little bit about just-in-time delivery, Amazon, and those sorts of things. And uh, one of the other things we want to talk about, uh, and I'm going to let you take uh, literally two minutes to just kind of wet their whistle about uh, time travel, quantitative mechanics, quantitative uh, science. So just uh, it's it's to me, it's just an amazing discussion. But you know what? Don't do that. You know what I want you to do? I want you to tell everybody about the uh, the perfectly made pot out of a stone. Just. I can't do it in two minutes. That, that these that's it. Just takes too much time. Okay, so let's do this. Um, yes or yes or no. Ready? I'll, I'll no. I'll I'll leave with one thing. Do it one thing. One thing. There is a really really good interview on Joe Rogan. If you have Spotify, it's worth listening to. 
a lot of people, a lot of what he says will go over people's heads. But if you're interested in it, there's a fantastic interview with, um, what's his name, Eric, I think, Weinstein. He is a mathematician. And he talks, he's, he's, he's apparently at the point in his life where he's done trying to appease academia and he's done, he's done being afraid of them. And he has a uh, very interesting theory that he's proposing for a, let's call it a post-Einsteinian physics. And it's definitely worth listening to. He's a very interesting guy. Um, he obviously don't agree with everything he says, but he has a, a very interesting perspective on things. And I mean, it's to the point that, I mean, he, part of what he lays out is, is a conspiracy. And if it wasn't somebody of his stature, people would say that, oh, he's nuts. But he lays out perfectly a grand conspiracy. And what's funny is it's provable because he, he outlines how a very, fan, a very interesting story about how um, he, as a, as a young uh, scientist, so of course he wasn't actually young, but you know, he's a younger person, and uh, anyways, he was a, I think he was a doctoral student or something like that, or postdoc, postdoctoral student in um, Harvard. And it was very interesting because he talked about how he started to get the idea for this, this theory that is his life's work, basically. And he proposed part of it. And he was told by whoever was in charge at the time in his department at Harvard to that in order to remain at the institution that he, uh, he basically had to be an away professor or something like this. And he had to leave the state of Massachusetts and they basically, they effectively in, 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 in as many words, they booted him out of Harvard because the idea that he came up with was so crazy. So they were like, you're a deranged lunatic. You threaten our, our, our position. So bye-bye. And he explains a lot of the characters involved in his field. He's not a, he's not a uh, he's not in the physics field per se. He's more in, in more of a mathematician. But it's interesting because he talks about how um, a lot of his work is adjacent to physics, right? And absolutely. And it's interesting because he he lays out a lot of the characters, particularly in uh, quantum gravity, which is a subspecialty of physics. And it's you know it's the, the bleeding edge of of, of uh, research, it, primarily because of its at least very potential. theoretical, very theoretical, yes, it's entirely theoretical, and it's important because it's 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 the area of research that's what will replace the Einsteinian world that we've lived in for the past eighty ninety years. And that's the word is used for those who are the. Um, Oh, I would say the disciples of Albert Einstein, and everything has been well, it's, solved. It's his theories. Yeah, it's, it's his everything theories. that he has come up with. That's 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 uh, that's in stone and done deal. It's not the way. Well, it works. It just stops working at a certain point. There, right. there are convolutions, and there's there's obvious issues that it doesn't completely solve. And there's an entire. So, but so the point is, is that he he outlines a lot of the characters involved and the interesting origins of these people. And, and a lot of it doesn't become clear why he's talking about this until the end. It's, so it's very good. But the point is, is that he lays out how he, he comes up with this theory. And it's not totally accurate, but it's close. And it's very different. And it's definitely something that uh, somebody who's an, organ, an, an institution that's open book and is actually interested in research uh, would be ecstatic to have people like this to come up with these things, even if they are wrong, because it gets people thinking about things, right? And... So instead, they basically kick him out of the institution, 
He you mean he didn't subscribe lock, stock, and barrel no. to the string theory? No. And he <laughs> moves on. Anyway, years later, he is at a, uh, I think he said it was at Harvard, but I'm not sure. Anyway, he's in a lecture hall. This is after he's at another university, I believe. And he's there listening to a lecture from um, a guy who is uh, a god, let's say, in this uh in this area of physics, and uh, he says the guy's name is Edward Witten. He uh, he calls him Voldemort at the beginning of the podcast. It's a there's there's a lot of reasons for it. Anyway, but this guy literally just gets up and gives out his it talks about his theory, and the entire staff at the school is like, "Oh wow, this is amazing!" Blah blah blah. And nobody understands what he's talking about. Well, no, they they do understand. That's the scary part. They knew exactly what he was talking about. Just nobody was willing to say that this we had a student here who previously proposed this idea there was one guy apparently i think uh some very some old very tenured person brought this up apparently and 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 the uh whoever was in charge basically talked around it and acted it as if uh, he had no idea who who uh, eric weinstein was or what his theory was so it's just it's a case of the special people can propose new and interesting ideas but if you're low on the totem pole you don't have the you don't have the institutional power to be able to propose anything new. Um, and that's real important. You, you, if you don't have the institutional power, you're considered a, a freakazoid. You're at risk. And just like during COVID, those of us who said, stop. Yeah. Follow the epidemiology. Follow the actual numbers. Follow the progression of viruses that have existed since the day and dawn of man. Oh, no, no, not this time. This time is totally different. Yeah, um, Yeah. Well, for all of you who, you know, it cost me time, money, I lost friends. I wouldn't say they were ever friends, but acquaintances. You can, you can write a letter of apology to me and, and say you're sorry. <laughs> yeah. um, and then I'll, uh, I'll walk out in the, uh, in the backyard and I'll, uh, I'll unzip and piss on it because the hell with you. Um, you're stupid then, you're stupid now, and you're not worth my time. Okay, with that, uh, kind of firm. But I think it's a fantastic interview. And if you're interested in kind of... Uh, and we're going to break it down. We've been talking about this for a long, long time. And he just did an amazing job. And I, uh, cred, uh, cred goes where cred goes well, he to throws. Rogan. Rogan did a nice job. Oh, yeah, fantastic. And and, and, and that's what he does. I think it's it's a great interview because he you have a guy who has been in it. And he throws the system under the bus yep. because of their their stagnation. Their, their waste of people's lives on stuff that is a dead end, and it's very obvious that it's a dead end, but people's careers and tenure and, and grants and research are Entire life. To yeah. Entire life. And, and this is a general problem in science that, you know, keeps people like us to steer clear of research institutions with a 10-foot pole, uh, which is a shame because there's a lot of people doing that. There's and, not, and research institutions are not necessarily the places where everything's happening. There's a, no, of course not. Not your so okay. Here's what I want you to do. Um, I want you to take a look at the book Horton Hears a Who by Dr. Seuss. One of the most uh, nicest things you ever said to me is that when we were talking about this, uh, you made a comment that he basically uh, articulated your philosophy of uh, Horton Hears a Who, but in his way, not in mine. I like to break things down into insanely simple so people understand. I also want you to watch the movie Contact. Look up uh, either on. Um, Go to Wikipedia or wherever you want to go to and read about what the movie Contact was about. Horton Hears a Who. And uh, always remember, you got to break things down into the incredibly simple uh, because this stuff gets really, really crazy. Now, before we get out of here, last 
week and all, we had some fun or whenever it was. We had fun with a couple of candidates that are running for office. And I uh, just want to share with you a couple of uh, idiotic uh, segments of a commercial that we had. And just remember, uh, for those of you who are going to be voting in the special election for House District 24, put a doctor in a house and not some of these morons. Marion County Republicans, do you still support President Trump? The radical left and rhino Republicans want conservatives like you and me to abandon President Trump and his America First agenda. We will not comply. The only candidate in the upcoming special election who has the courage to openly support Donald Trump, despite all the witch hunts and attacks from the fake news media and the Washington, D.C. swamp. On March 7th, we have the opportunity to elect a representative who is pro-life, pro-jobs, pro-gun, pro-America, and pro-Trump. Let's face it, Donald Trump was right. He was right about the crisis at our southern border. He was right about the economy, and he was right about foreign policy. But in only two short years, Joe Biden has completely failed the American people. Drugs and illegal immigrants are pouring across our border. The economy is collapsing, and we can't even protect our own airspace against Chinese spy balloons. As your state representative, fight back against the Biden-Harris regime and support Donald Trump and his America First policies. He's the only candidate who has pledged to do so. So join me in supporting your Florida State House District 24 in the upcoming Republican primary on March 7th. Pro-Trump means pro-America. Pro-Trump means... Thanks for listening. Paid for and approved for Florida State House, District 24. Call back number 352. Have a great rest of your day, and God bless the United States of America. So I wanted to finish up with that because we have some absolute retards running for the State House. We have a guy who pledged to not run again, uh, term limits, who decided to violate his pledge. You know, you just got people that are complete loons, and we got one guy who actually knows what he's doing, so... Go to the polls and please do something maybe different for a change. Don't get all emotional. Vote for facts. And remember, keep it real. The Paul Trustell Podcast is produced by the Trustell Media Group. Monkey Joe, producer, all rights reserved. People got no respect for the brain dead? I'd like to start with a list of people I can do without. <laughs> A proctologist with poor depth perception. Any woman whose hobby is breastfeeding zoo animals. A cross-eyed nun with a bullwhip and a bottle of gin. A waitress with a visible infection on her serving hand. And any man whose arm hair completely covers his wristwatch. Okay, that's enough of that. For who do you trust? Hubba hubba hubba. Money, money, money. Who do you trust? Me? I'm giving away free money.
Mr. Madison, what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Okay, a simple wrong would have done just fine, but uh, you remain one. WKRP Got kinda tired of packing and unpacking 